mentally yours from Ellen and Yvette. Uh, focus on your mental health, you surely won't regret. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. Welcome to Mentally Yours. Really appreciate you taking your time out. Hi, Yvette. Thank you very much for inviting me on. You're the head of Bipolar UK. Could you start off by telling us a bit about the charity and what it does? Um, So Bipolar UK has been going for about 37 years and it was founded by um, two two women who um, were living with bipolar and I thought, well, maybe one of their close family members was. And they put a letter in the press just saying how They'd been alone, they didn't know who to talk to, and they'd had lots of different issues with the health service and were experiencing a lot of prejudice and, and discrimination. And um, they managed to get a really you know, a huge response from it. So hundreds of people responded, and uh, they basically set up a, uh, an initial support group based down in London. And then it, from that, it kind of spread like wildfire across the whole of the UK. So there was, um, they basically, there's a, a couple of people that went around setting up support groups putting uh, notices in the press and just bringing together people affected by bipolar. So that was people living with the condition, but then their close family members as well. And the philosophy behind it was that um, everyone's bipolar is different. It's all unique, but um, there's um, common experiences that people have that allows them to be able to help manage the condition better. So talking about medication, talking about uh, like the treatment, like how to get a diagnosis if they, they kind of hadn't got one yet, uh, how to deal with kind of mania and depression. Uh, so the idea was using the kind of the wisdom of the community to be able to, to kind of help each other to stay well. And from those early days, the charities grown. We, we grew, we've grown to about 85 face-to-face support groups across the country. We've got an e-community, which does the same thing. So people affected by bipolar log on. Uh, and they talk to other people at any times of the day. Uh, we've got about uh, just over 5,000 members on that now. Um, and then we also do a telephone callback service as well. So if someone wants to talk to someone um, who's affected by bipolar and get some advice, then they can they can ring up and we'll give them a call back. Um, obviously, with during COVID-19, um, those services have had to change. So we've had to we've not been able to do the face-to-face services, but we've been doing uh, Zoom groups over over video call as well. Um, so we probably reach out to about 1,500 people every month. And then we, we say that they tell us that probably about of those about 700 at the moment or usually about 1,000 kind of users to stay well. Um, mm. So so that's that's us in a nutshell, really. Can you tell me a bit more about how you've adapted um, in terms of the pandemic? You mentioned there the support groups changing. How do things work now in terms of that? Yeah, so COVID-19 has had a massive impact on us as a charity, as it has done for a lot of them. Um, so the key one is we've had to freeze our um, our face-to-face groups and move towards uh, digital services. So that's been um, a really um, that's been a big big change for us. So the Zoom groups that we run um, usually our programs are run run monthly. The Zoom groups run um, they sometimes run monthly, but a lot of them kind of run more frequently for so they'll they'll maybe run once every two weeks rather than every every month uh, rather than being for two or three hours, they'll be, tend to be about an hour because that's the limit that people can do on Zoom. Um, we've also put a lot more time into our social media and into our um, into our website. Mm. Um, so we've seen our website traffic having about tw- a 20% increase 
And what we've been doing is using it to put a lot more articles out there from academics, from people with lived experience to talk about their experiences of living well with the uh, during COVID-19. Um, there's been a lot of research studies, a lot of, um, coming out um, around bipolar, and we, we want to involve our community in those. So we've been doing a lot of work to promote those. I don't know about you, but I'm quite worried about how the pandemic is affecting people with bipolar disorder. Uh, one of the things that you found in your recent study is that I think twice as many people with bipolar disorder have been hospitalised for suicide attempts than due to COVID symptoms. So what are you doing at the moment to, to sort of support people um, and tackle that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, it's really, it is really worrying with, um, with COVID-19, the impact it's having on our community. We've seen that big increase in depression and anxiety and suicidal thinking as well. And um, we were asking people what... Um, what they were doing in terms of being able to um, to kind of access services because these are so important during this period and um, we're obviously really worried that people aren't able to get access to the psychiatrist or to their GP. Um, so what, what we've been doing as a charity is really getting the message out there on our e-community because I think it's really important with um, suicide that people have got suicidal thoughts. It's it's okay to talk about the suicidal thoughts. It's what we really strongly discourage is anyone to actually talk about kind of methods and so forth. Um, but talking about suicide um, and being able to reach out and get support makes such a massive difference for people. Um, it's a common feat, like a lot of the suicide of people with bipolar is um, is horrendous. I mean, it's um, I think if you diagnose a bipolar, you've got a 5.5% chance of, of completing suicide. But that can that figure can be dramatically reduced if you get the, the care and support you, you need. Um, and a lot of that we do is to share stories of people uh, who are living with bipolar, who have been suicidal, who have been through the dark periods, but have, have come through it. Um, there's a really amazing gentleman that does a lot of work at the charity, who's also at the Department of Health, and he's um, did a presentation that we've, we've shared, talking about all the times that he's been suicidal, thinking about all the stuff he's done since that point and what she would never have achieved or the experience he would never have had had he not uh, had he um, taken his own life um, and I think that's really important is that to to remind people that it's not them that's suicidal it's the condition talking and that it is a, it's a mental health thing it's not it, it, it can seem like the world's collapsing in around you but it's 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 the condition talking to you it's not you and it's not your life and there's lots of things that you can do to change it mm. um it's such a difficult time, though, isn't it? Because obviously, especially at the start of the pandemic, I mean, it certainly felt for me like the world was collapsing, to be honest, in terms of, you know, being told to stay at home, in, told, in terms of lots of people dying from the virus. Um, so it, it is a particularly difficult time, I think, to actually battle against those kind of negative thoughts. Yeah, it's not it's not easy, is it? And there, there is a lot of stuff that's going wrong in the world. And a lot of people are kind of anxious about their jobs as well. And um yeah it's it's really difficult um but it, it it's not inevitable i think that's the crucial thing that that having bipolar isn't and doesn't mean that you're inevitably um going to end up going down that path there's lots of things that can there's lots of, there's a lot more things that are going to going to keep keep you going mm. um so yeah. it's it's not an easy i mean it's not easy at all i mean it um i mean i'm not myself living with bipolar but i've had some really dark spots over the last couple of months um unfortunately working's really helped me kind of get through that as well and being a dad and and so forth has made life a lot a lot easier for me but living with um bipolar itself must be really tough um 
especially when a lot of people's coping routines as well are being completely put out of put out of kilter it's up it's i shouldn't laugh really but it's literally been ups and downs over the past few months i mean i never normally say that about bipolar disorder because for me i experienced it in the fact that i have depressive episodes over many months and then i sort of have higher episodes over many months it's, it's not literally up and down and up and down but over the period of the pandemic i've definitely noticed that my mood is been a lot more up and down sort of sort of almost day to day um i think it's really important what you said in there earlier about not being afraid to talk about suicide i mean that's something that we do on the podcast a lot we've done it in the past a lot and and the idea that because i think at the moment still a lot of people think if you say the word suicide or if you discuss it with a friend or family then that's maybe going to put ideas into their heads or something like that but i think just sort of getting out in the open can be quite useful um, because it sort of having the thought doesn't necessarily mean that you're actually going to do anything. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I, from my own experience, it was my, I mean, it's not my experience, but my, my family's experience, my, my uh, brother-in-law, he um, was living a bipolar and he completed suicide. And they only really, um, one of the reasons why yeah, I do my job and one of the reasons why my family gets involved and helps out so much um, is because they didn't know that he had had a, a diagnosis and they didn't know the place that he was at. And there's lots of things that they could have done to help him if they'd known that it was bipolar and they know that that was what was driving it. What else did you find out from that research? We found there was obviously a big big increase in depression and anxiety, but we were kind of interested to know what was driving it because one of the key things that I thought was that because people couldn't access their services, that was one of the key drivers. But actually, uh, a lot of it was anxiety about the virus itself. So... Um, we found that um, people actually um, were more anxious about the virus than, than relapsing. And mm. they were more anxious about um, about that than the financial impact or the impact on the wider world. So, which is interesting. I mean, obviously, that's because people are hearing all the government messaging. But as we had on the survey, more people were hospitalised through suicide attempts than they were through COVID-19. So relapsing mm. is a real risk and anxiety, real, real worry for people. Um, so that was something that surprised me. And then mm. also around the lockdown as well, because we know that people aren't able to, to go out and do their do their usual routines. I know exercise is a really important part of self-management. Um, and talks about being able to get out, going to your GP and get access to medication and so forth. Mm. But actually almost 60% of people wanted the lockdown to continue. Um, mm. and only uh, 15% wanted reduced um reduced um restrictions so so yeah it was it was a surprise i mean i wasn't expecting that um and it, it does open up some questions about the longer term impact of covid19 on on our community because um if they're if, if it's if it's the virus itself obviously the virus is still going to be there and even if it's an underlying worry then that's that's going to play on people's minds mm. um so even if the lockdown's lifted it's not going to solve solve the crisis um and also it's probably the the disruption as you've said about the, the kind of highs and the lows it's a if, if you're going to have a lockdown then not a lockdown then another lockdown I mean that is going to be more damaging than just being in one steady state or one or the other mm. so yeah it's really worrying I mean we're we're really lucky as a charity because we've received some extra money from the Department of Health and we've all of our the major trusts that we've applied to have, have pretty much said yes that they want to help us so we're putting in place a plan to make sure we can reach more more people over the next six months and a year to kind of see them through it. Mm -hmm. So a big big part of that is going to be the e-community, but also 
hopefully scaling up our support groups, kind of introducing more specialist support groups from people from from different backgrounds. So we got we got we know it was a big task ahead of us, but we're we're really keen to kind of play our part and being able to help people through it. Mm. What sort of individual stories have you heard from people in terms of things like, you know, getting hold of their GP, accessing healthcare, um, going into to uh, mental health units? I mean, just from my own personal experience, I had this nightmare week at the start of lockdown where I couldn't get hold of mood stabilizers. I genuinely, I genuinely thought for a week I was going to end up getting sectioned or something. Thankfully, that didn't happen and it was all fine and I got hold of them in the end. Um, but what sort of things have you been hearing from individuals? Yeah, so from in, it, it, like all these things, it's a mixed bag. So there, there is some really good examples. And I think, the NH, I think the NHS and the health service has actually innovated incredibly rapidly. So um, being a, like doing kind of Zoom consultations, doing repeat prescriptions, doing GPs, I think they have, there's been a lot of innovation. And yeah. GPs have been very flexible about what they could do in a lot of cases. That I hope a lot of that that kind of learning and that kind of way of working will probably continue as well because um, being able to dial in and be able to get a consultation rather than to go down to your GP is a, is a much better way of, is, for some people, it's a lot more convenient. Um, but alongside that, there has obviously been a lot of, um, uh, we've certainly seen a kind of people saying that they can't get to their GP and so forth, those that aren't able to provide those types of services. And some people just don't have the technology as well. I mean, you wouldn't, if you're not, what like kind of web savvy i mean like we we've, we've struggled kind of being able to use skype and and whatsapp and so forth so it's it's, it's not going to be a, a panacea for everyone mm-hmm. and for a number of people that has been a real struggle to get to their gps and to be able to get their prescriptions renewed mm-hmm. um so and people will need their medication reviewed so it's not just actually getting access to it it's also being able to change the dosage and you need to talk to a clinician to do that so we were really worried one of the, the things that came out from the survey was uh, about 10 to 16 percent of people found it impossible to see their psychiat their psychiatrist and their GP. So that was something that really worried us because um, that's that's obviously a big number of people there across the country who are going to be at risk of relapse. That's the thing, and it shouldn't really be much of a surprise because obviously we went through a period where the government was actually telling us not to leave the house, and you know, apart from the maybe for one hour of exercise, um, and. You know, doctors telling us we should only ring the surgery. We shouldn't really go down there unless it was an emergency. Um, and I, I definitely sort of got the feeling that unless maybe you know your arm was hanging off or something was terribly, terribly wrong, um, you, you probably shouldn't. Almost it, it almost felt like you probably shouldn't ring them. Um, I don't know about you, but I kind of felt also like it was very much the impetus was on. Um, basically, the responsibility seems to be on people who are sick to reach out to their GPs. Um, yeah. I think there should be a lot more of GPs just looking at their systems and thinking, well, you know, these people have got bipolar disorder or whatever mental health issue they have, and actually ringing them and not waiting for them to, to get in touch. Because, you know, if you're very depressed or if you're in a manic episode, you're not going to spend the time, you know, dialing a number or going on a Zoom call. I think that's a really good a good point as well, and perhaps having some sort of triage system as well. I mean, um, I mean, we've done a lot of stuff doing proactive calls, reaching out to people um, to be able to just do a fifteen minute check in. Um, but I'm sure with, with GPs, they're going to have their their list of people who are they know are managing well, uh, who might just need a monthly check in or whatever. But there's going to be others who are going to need much more kind of intensive support. Mm. Um, so I think that that would make I can see the logic of that doing GP check ins. 
just see how people are getting on. Um, some people might just be like, oh, thanks for calling, I'm okay. And other people might be a longer call and they might flag issues that need to be kind of dealt with and with a, a more like a longer follow up call or something like that. So mm. I can see, yeah, I think it's a really good idea. The other charity CEOs that I've talked to have spoken about the, the fact that they're, they're really quite worried at the moment about there being um, a really serious, um, basically the, the state of the UK's mental health being really quite bad as a whole, not just people with long-term mental health, health, health issues, but, you know, there being some sort of crisis because of lockdown. Um, are you worried about that? Yeah, I'm very worried. I mean, you um, kind of ran through some of the numbers on it. I mean, when we did our survey, we, we found that we thought, Four people reported their loved ones had completed suicide over the kind of the lockdown period. So that was, I mean, the sample was about it's about fifteen hundred. Um, so you wouldn't expect you'd probably expect about three or four over an entire year, not eight weeks. So that 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 is really worrying. Um, mm. So there needs to be a lot of a lot of work looking, particularly on suicide prevention. But then there's the kind of the whole getting people to um, the kind of the the kind of the more um anxiety um people having like the the panic that they've had from the the, the pandemic and um that's going to require a lot of time to kind of rebuild people's lives um because people are going to have i mean we, we're starting to open up now um but certainly i don't see people rushing back to the restaurants and to the bars and to the clubs and there's going to be a lot of kind of agoraphobia and and like social anxieties about um going out and so forth and if you've got bipolar those are going to be kind of magnified so it is a, it is a real real worry um mm-hmm. i think the the best thing that people can have is probably some certainty i think that that helps doesn't it and then um i mean basic advice and access to a community that allows you to kind of share those 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 things and then obviously the health service being there as a backup for for when things do go really wrong but i think having that community of people that you know are going through the same thing has it is really really helpful and powerful tool mm. to help people self-manage and you mentioned in there earlier uh, about the, the money you received from the government um, for the charities um what are your some of your plans in terms of supporting people further over the coming months yeah so we're going to look to scale up our e-community so uh promote that uh more widely because we we could we want well Anyone with bipolar who who wants to talk to people with bipolar online, we want to be able to to provide that service for them. So trying to get, we're going to get that out, um, and we're going to scale up our callback service as well. So um, at the moment, we've got um, we've just been able to have one staff member on, so hopefully we'll get get more staff back to be able to do that. Because um, that we know that lots of people just want to have a kind of one to one conversation with someone as well who's 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 uh, affected by bipolar. And then we're scaling up our Zoom groups. So we've got in about at the moment about 40 groups. So they're going to be we're going to try and get back up to 80 um, and then also to introduce um, more specialist groups from people from uh, from different backgrounds. So about um, only about 10 percent of people who use our services are from BME backgrounds. And we know we want to get that up to 20 or 30 percent. So we're going to be working with um, members of different communities to set up. Uh, kind of special support groups for them um, also um lgbtq um, community as well um, and then one of our trustees is really interested is looking at prisons because obviously that we, we talk a lot about bipolar in the community but there's within the prison population there's going to be a lot of people living with bipolar as well and they won't be able to get access to any support and they're probably having a particularly rough time so being mm. able to 
to kind of set up, use technology and Zoom to be able to access them would be really good thing for us to explore. Yeah. Um, and then alongside that, we're doing working with Cardiff University to do some self-management webinars. So we're going to have start off by doing general ones so everyone can get the basics. At Cardiff University has been running this program in Wales for for the past five five years, five, ten years. So that it's, it's really effective. Um, and we're wanting to do, first of all, kind of give people a kind of a taster of it, do free sessions, basics of self-management for you and your friends and family. And then we're going to try and develop more um, niche packages. So getting groups of people together, about seven or eight people affected by bipolar who can kind of go through a course for about seven seven weeks on it. So we're looking to take that online as well to give people the kind of the understanding. And we, we find that it's the combination of the, the awareness of the, the condition, how to self-manage with talking to other people who are going through the same experience is what's so powerful in terms of being able to enable people to live well. Yeah, I think I'd like to finish up by saying, what would you say to people who are listening to this, who are like me, they're living with bipolar disorder, but they're not really sure about getting in touch with the charity. I mean, myself, it took me years to even talk about it or write about it. And then also in terms of going to a group, um, I think, I mean, the first time I went to a group was sort of in my mid-30s. Um, I might have vaguely been aware of the charity, but I just didn't feel like I wanted to meet other people with bipolar disorder. I basically just felt nervous about it. Um, what would you say to them? Most people um, won't know before they have the diagnosis, won't know anyone else who's living with bipolar, or at least they don't think they know anyone else with bipolar. Um, when they will, they will in fact know someone. So, I mean, like if you think one in 50, you, most people probably know two or three people with bipolar, but they wouldn't necessarily know they're living with the condition. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's someone's someone's diagnosis. Um, I think I don't know if it was yourself or that or someone else said um, you're di- you tell the people that deserve to know, which I think is a really really important thing. So if if you're wanting to talk about your bipolar with other people with bipolar, then I think it uh, or talk about it generally, but you don't want to tell everyone. Then I think going and meeting other people with a condition is a really good first step because that helps you understand it better and it helps you kind of understand that living with bipolar is not it's not the life sentence that people think it is that there's lots of people out there who are achieving amazing things living with the condition and they have relapses and they have rough times but they also have really um good times as well where they're kind of living really well and achieving great things in their careers and so forth so i think it's it's a bit like joining a family I know families have, have got their problems, but you're, you're meeting other people with the condition. You're going to have that instant connection. Uh, and it's amazing how it transcends kind of different backgrounds, different like racial, religious, um, kind of language, um, all manner of things. You can connect to someone else with the condition. And Bipolar UK provides a, a safe space for you to do so. So um, we don't we, we moderate our forums. We moderate our groups are really um, well facilitated. Uh, we help you access like services better. You help you have better conversations with clinicians, and it really helps you take control of your condition, uh, and helps you being able to live the life that you want to lead. So, if you're out there and you've got bipolar, go to our website, join our e-community, and you'll meet some uh, amazing people.
If you've been struggling with any of the issues we've been chatting about today, please give the Samaritans a ring on 116123. You can also find them online at samaritans.org. You can find us online. We have a Twitter account, which is at MentallyYRS. And you can also join our lovely Facebook group, which is simply called Mentally Yours. See you next week.